Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 55 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled The Churches of Thyatira and Sardis. Our teacher is Alan Smith. Amen. I've been talking about the Church of Thyatira. We know that uh, this group is the, we are the kind of the tip of the spear for this morning and the activity of the Holy Spirit in this place. And there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of needs. But Jesus says to come unto Him if you're burdened and heavy laden. And so I believe that this morning uh, we're going to have a visitation and are having a visitation of His Holy Spirit that will touch the needs of people today. And in this church of Thyatira, we're going over these churches of the of Revelation. We're trying to see how is it that the church, what will the church look like? How will the church act? What will we do right? What will we do wrong during this age that we're living in? And I want to cover this. I'm going to probably sh shoot some facts at you kind of quickly because I want to get to a particular spot maybe. Uh, in the early times, Thyatira was home to an influential Christian church. The letter to Thyatira is the longest of the letters, and the emphasis of this letter is to the followers that have decided to follow this false prophet Jezebel. So I went over some of those teachings last week, this false prophetess of uh, Jezebel, and how she starts mixing things of the world. Here is the on the map is Thyatira. We started at Ephesus, Smyrna. Went to Pergamon, now we are at Thyatira. Now this is the message that's, well, of what's going on here. The church in Thyatira was in trouble. They had allowed a strange prophetess to work her way in, and she uh, brought division by causing the congregation to compromise. Her message was to mix faith in Christ and the in, uh, immor immoral sexual practices of the time. Now, as we look around us today, this is the same thing that's easily being seen, even though it's picked up speed in the last 10 years, I think. It's been working underground, but now it's starting to pop up to where even some of us blind Christians can see something's going on. Basically, two groups in Thyatira. Uh, the, it appears a larger group was one that chose to follow Jezebel. So we had the two groups, larger group in this church was following Jezebel. And the smaller group was the remnant of believers that were not persuaded and stayed true uh, to the Lord. Jezebel was combining pagan and Christian behavior in the church by encouraging Christians' involvement in these uh, pagan rituals. She was encouraging Christians' craftsmen to compromise their faith for financial security and stability. So here we saw that in this um, city of Thyatira, that it was a place, kind of a blue-collar uh, city. And if you were a craftsman, which that's what the whole city was made up of, of whether you worked in wood, metal, or whatever, that you were part of a guild. And uh, so you joined this guild or this organization of craftsmen, uh, for your financial stability. It's kind of like a union, if you will, of the different craftsmen that got together. Now, with these guilds in mind and this craftsman of Thyatira, they joined their groups. Then everybody would, people all over uh, Asia would come to Thyatira for all the goods that were created there. Uh, a lot of the uh, uh, swords and shields and helmets uh, of the bronze worker was done there. The tension is between the followers 
of the Lamb and the followers of the beast in Revelation. So you're seeing this tension within uh, the church, but it was more of a tension between the Holy Spirit and this spirit is like Jezebel. This is where we got to last week, was who is this Jezebel? Now let's look at it just quickly. Most of you know the story. Queen Jezebel was a daughter of Ethbaal, king of Sodom, the wife of Ahab, king of Israel. Jezebel promoted the worship of false gods in Israel, uh, harassed and killed God's prophets and arranged for an innocent man to be falsely charged and executed, which you know the story of uh, Naboth and the vineyard and uh, that stuff. There was a woman in the church at Thyatira who was a very dominant leader, Jesus, and he calls her Jezebel. Now, as we'll see in the scriptures, uh, if you'll notice, most of these characters don't have a last name, right? Jezebel who, or Abraham who, or Adam who, Eve who. And what happens is we all know who the, the people are, but also it takes on a spirit of that character. So in Scripture, you'll use, uh, and the angel here used this name Jezebel, to show the character of what was going on into the church. The Lord, there you go, the Lord renames people according to their character. Uh, she was the wife of King Ahab of Israel. She is noted for having made the worship of God of Baal. And you can see uh, that's the last part of her, of her name, of course. Baal was a fertility god. Now here's what I want you to see. Keep in mind the craftsmen's guilds. They came together in Thyatira. You had all these uh, groups of, uh, of craftsmen. Now Baal, though, was a fertility god, and his worship involved immoral and uh, licentious practices. To be a merchant in Thyatira, you had to be a member of a union or a guild to be a merchant there. Now, it, now what, here's the deal. It was believed that when you had sex with a temple prostitute, you would gain the anointing of that god for a great harvest, fertility, wealth, popularity, healing, and etc. So therefore, you see the purpose of temple prostitutes because it was under this auspice of this, the spirituality of fertility. And so therefore, that's how they mixed the sexuality with the spirituality. So that, and here's the whole idea, that you would leave with the anointing of that God. Can you hear that? Now you can, a lot of people are seeking anointing, not understanding they've got more than they know. The question is, is it the right kind? That's, that's the question. Now believe it or not, as uh, humans as we are and we have a spirit, you tend to take on more of the anointing or the character of, can you see it? The character of a Jezebel, the character of Christ. Whether you know it or not, you have been influenced by different anointings. Can you hear me? That's a little bit of a concern. Because we can say, well, it's not going to hurt for me to go down there. I'm going to go to this, con this KISS concert. Just, you know, it's not going to make any difference. Yeah. What if it does? Do you mean that I can get an anointing from being in there at that place? He answered, yes, you can. 
You will not come away with not any anointing, I promise you. Now, but that's what I want us to understand what was happening in this church. And the church of Thyatira prophetically now, this church reflects a time from the 6th to the 16th century, a thousand years, that has been called the Dark Ages. You know, I showed you how in the timeline, how the seven churches each uh, tended to speak to a particular time. It was a time when the church became corrupt by combining pagan uh, rites with Christian teaching. This was a time when hierarchy was established in the church as a system of government instead of servant leadership. Now, today, a lot of people are, are still have this uh, mixed understanding of separation of church and state. Uh, here, you can see the, they mixed the church. Of course, it was Catholicism, but yet the church was a leading factor in government. And they mixed government. And so, therefore, today we have people that believe, well, because of that thousand-year time, the Dark Ages, when the church was mixed with government, we had a bad outcome and bad experiences, which is true. That is true. We can't deny that. But the problem was not having Christian influence. The problem was you had pagans calling themselves Christians. That's, that's, that was the problem. Now... But anyway, nonetheless, we still have that problem today. And I got a, a phone call actually this morning of, of someone sharing with me. There were two churches up towards uh, Morganton, up in that area, the two of the biggest churches up in that area. And both of them had announced that they, not at the same week, but at different times, that they would not allow the teaching of the book of Revelation in their churches because they said it brought too much division. So therefore, the one, and one of them went as far as to say, we're not going to do revelation nor a teachings on the Holy Spirit because those two topics bring uh, too much division. That just so happens those two churches don't want to mix government either. You never don't want to have a Christian influence. So once you start, you can't separate. You just can't separate. Once you start down that slope, where are you going to stop? You see, so the, the, the right answer is your influence, who you are. Do, do I think that we our goal is to have a uh, our goal is to have as many Christians as we can in governmental seats? That's our goal. But also to have Christian influence. Did you know you can have a non-believer trust you? You can. Non-believers will, will, will trust you. So we're to have that influence. Now let me move on quickly. So if with a Catholic Protestant alike, we had this problem. All of this will find its ultimate conclusion in the 17th, 18th chapters as you move on and, uh, with the great harlot who rides the beast, and uh, that's Revelation. Now in 1 Kings, just to look at Jezebel a little bit more, Jezebel persuades her husband to promote the worship of, of deities, Baal, Asherah among the people of Israel. It was common during this era of kingdoms for the king to establish worship. Now, what we want to see is this. You have the world and then you can, let's say we got the church. We can distinguish between the two. The goal is, is for the church to invade the world. But if we sit here and think that the enemy doesn't have the same idea, we're crazy. Because the enemy is going to try to invade the church. You see. 
And so that's what this whole, this whole part with her is about. Uh, now, during Ahab's reign in Israel, the people were deeply divided as to either worship and serve Baal or the Lord. And we see that happening today. Now, let's get on into the scripture here that I want us to see. Now, we're going to pick up at verse 23, and I will kill her children with death, talking about Jezebel, and all the churches shall know that I am he which churches the, the reins and the hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan, as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden, but that which ye have already, hold fast to I come. So he was saying the one group that was not yielding. People love to feel they are being led into secret things, and that is good and that is not good. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he speaks of the deep things of God uh, in Corinthians uh, 2.10. So part of the enticement, though, was they were going to lead them into the deeper things of God, the deeper things of God that we, in the Apostle Paul's writings, are all pertaining to the second coming of Christ. Let's look here. There's a promise in verse 26 to the, this church. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. That's pretty good, isn't it? He shall rule with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel, as I also have received from my father. And I will give him the morning star. Do you see that? You've heard that several times in Scripture. It says, I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the uh, churches. It says, I will give him the morning star. Now, so what is going on here with the morning star? Uh, when we get up there, it says that he shall rule, as Psalms 2 is the reference that he's referring to. Uh, the rule of Christ in the earthly kingdom is what we call the millennial. So what he's saying is, what I'm going to bless you with is that you're going to be ruling. You've heard the, this is one of the places we get in Psalms 2, that we'll be ruling and reigning with Christ. That's what he was speaking to this church, to those that held fast and did not yield to this seducing spirit. This is seducing spirit of, of uh, Jezebel when you start entertaining this thought, well, Alan, we need to make the church more powerful to the lost world so they'll come in out of the pit of hell. We're not supposed to make the church more palatable so the lost will come in. We want enough of the presence of the Holy Spirit that, he, that the Spirit draws people in. There's a difference. We have a task in hand. And that task is there's enough of the Holy Spirit and the presence of God in this place that it will actually draw people here. You don't have to sell the gospel. You just give the gospel. It's amazing. The, it, it's, it's built in. <laughs> He's got, God's already got the, the drawing part built in. Now, Let's move on quickly because I want to get somewhere. Now it says, and I will give him the morning star. Now I want us to look at the morning star deal here just a little bit. Now we know Satan, he always wants, he, he, he doesn't have any new ideas. 
uh, we're going, we want to invade, go to all the earth. We want to take the Great Commission. We want to take the gospel to the world. So the enemy, believe it or not, doesn't say it's a good strategy for me to invade the church. He just knows I'm going to duplicate that but go into the church. The Satan's world that he wants to invade is the church. He's already got people in the world. He doesn't spend a lot of time there. He spends a lot of time coming against the church. But he says, I'll give morning star. Well, the enemy's going to try to duplicate that. Have you fallen from heaven, O morning star? Y'all know the scripture. Son of the dawn, you have been cast down to the earth, you uh, who uh, once uh, uh, laid low the nations. So here we see that uh, the enemy, that Satan himself, is referred to as morning star. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Luke 10, 18, and he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. He is a fallen star. So Jesus, prophetically, I want to see the symbolism. I'll go through it quickly. But, but Satan sees, calls himself even the morning star. And as he, and as he does that, uh, as he does that, he's trying to duplicate the morning star. But we see him in Scripture as a falling star. So we start getting that revelation of the fallen star. Revelation twenty two sixteen, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. Here we go. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. So here we see Jesus is referred to as a, a bright and morning star. The difference is Jesus is not fallen. Okay, there's a huge, big contrast. But there's even more to it than that. And I want you to see this. Um, he goes on to say this. I did it in blue. It's in Revelation. Jesus is referred to, I want you to make this comparison, prophetically as symbols. I'm just trying to do a little symbols here quickly. Uh, Jesus is referred to as a lion of the tribe of Judah, right? And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loosen the seven seals thereof. Now we see here, I think that's First Peter, isn't it? I can't see it from here. I shouldn't do blue. Satan is compared to a lion. You see that? A lion seeking someone to devour. You know the scripture. Here's what I found. Oh. That's what happens when you get a smartwatch. Satan is compared to a lion seeking someone to devour. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil... Uh, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So when we start in seeing symbolism, prophetically speaking, you'll start seeing these things happen. But you want to make a comparison of the two symbols. One lion is a king and the other is a loud lion of destruction. All right? So, but the enemy is trying to be the opposite, taking... He's trying, not trying to take the opposite. He's trying to take over the lion term. He's trying to take over the morning star term. But there again, it gives us something. So what happens with Jezebel is she's trying to take over the church. So anything that tries to take over the church and the pure gospel is Jezebelian, if you will. So we want to see that in this prophetic class. I like to... Okay, I want us to see a little bit more about the morning star here. There's a great prediction by the prophet Malachi that the son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. And I've told you the whole New Testament is about 
the second coming of Christ. The whole New Testament, the Old Testament is about the first coming and the second coming. So your whole Bible is about the coming of Christ. It just so happens he had to throw a lot of other stuff in there to get us redeemed back up so we could be in the second coming of Christ. And that's a lot of the other writings. But here he says he calls him the son of righteousness. That's talking about that second coming. And I can't develop all that, but just watch how it works here. He will be like the sun appearing in the darkness of this world. That's what this Malachi prophetically he's speaking to. He's going to come as this son of righteousness. Now watch something though. But before the sun rises, the morning star appears. A morning star is a star that shines before the sun comes up. That's what a morning star is. So what he's saying is he's going to be a morning star before the sun appears. In other words, we're going to be able to see him before his second coming. That's what revival is. That's what the presence in this room is. When we feel the presence of God this morning, the morning star is shining. The morning star is the star that shines before the sun comes up. So why are we experiencing the bright and morning star is in the house. So I want us to prophetically see what is happening because it plays a great relevance as you keep going. In Revelation twenty two sixteen, Jesus says of himself, I am the bright and morning star. What's the bright? It's the sun. But he says, I'm also the morning star. Got it? He says, I am the bright and morning star. So therefore, the morning star is among us this morning. And that's the truth. Because we're right this side of the sun coming up. Praise God. There's more to it. Do you want to hear it? There will be an appearing of himself for his own before he comes in power and glory and visible to the world. That's another reason that I tend to be more of a pre-tribulation rapture type guy because I carry that a little further into the morning star with other scriptures that I would apply uh, to the rapture that's pre-tribulation rapture, which I know a lot in here aren't that, but I'll be waiting on you. It'll be all right. <laughs> I just like I like to have fun with that one. Now, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, let's go on here in verse. This is not just to this church, but all the churches. He said what he says to the churches in the Ephesus. He says, "Do not let your love for Jesus grow cold." A Smyrna, he says, do not fear the persecution of the world. Pergamum, he says, trust the word of God and keep strong and faithful. And Thyatira, he says, avoid both sexual and spiritual adultery. That's what he's saying uh, to, these, to these churches. Those are the things. Now, I want to go in quickly here to Sardis just a little bit. We're going to move into this next church. In the church of Sardis... 
what this church needed was the Holy Spirit. Now, I just told you this morning a little bit ago, there was one church made a declaration. We're not going to teach on the book of Revelation, nor on the Holy Spirit, because it brings too much confusion. I would to God we could have a good Holy Ghost confusion. I really would. Something that we can't figure out. Except God's here. Just bring it on. This is what happens with this church's heart. It's very important for us to pick this up. They needed to remember that Jesus is Lord of His church. It is not a left to the members and leaders to run the church, but it is the Lord in their midst. Hallelujah. Can somebody really yes. say hallelujah to the devil? Right? It's because the devil right there. Hallelujah. hallelujah. That's the reason it's important, and I can't emphasize it enough. This book that Dr. Trevor... Craig put together. When I refer to Trevor in his book, I call him a doctor because I want it to look big. <laughs> Trevor Craig uh, put this, uh, wrote this book, put it together with Scripture. It's been used in other churches. Uh, uh, I won't give this one to Bob. And there, there are copies of it out in the foyer. I'm hoping that... Uh, uh, the title of the book is Who is in Charge Here? Now, the reason this is important, and there's a reason as a church, we, we understand the church, of, this church of Sardis. We understand the problem. And we don't want the members or the leaders to run this church. That's right. That's true. We don't. We do not. That's the reason we don't get real excited about your great idea. I hope I hurt your feelings. But you've got to understand, as leaders, we're not excited about our great ideas. Because we are seeking and searching and wanting Jesus to be the one who runs this church. Now, you can say, all right, Alan, what does that look like? Well, there's a hard part. We're working on that. We're not really sure what it does look like, but we know what it doesn't look like. So we've said no a lot and yes a little. But still, you know our goal. It's not hidden. Our goal is the members don't run it and the leaders don't run it, and Jesus does. Come on. That is our goal. This truth was forsaken and forgotten in Sardis. But we know that it's possible. Can you hear that? We know it's Paul. You say, well, Alan, what about the fivefold? Well, the fivefold's trying to figure out and listen to what Jesus is saying. What about the members? Can they not hear? Yeah, you can hear. Talk to the fivefold in the church. Pass it on. Yeah, pass it on. We'll listen. Because we're trying to discover what Jesus is saying to this church. The only thing I can tell you is this is I can tell when Jesus is in our midst. I can tell when the Holy Spirit is in our midst. And as sure as my name is Alan Smith, I assure you that the Lord told me this morning that everyone here today would be able to know that God's in our midst. That's what He said to me. Everybody would know that He's in our midst. Now, there's that book, a handbook for restoring Jesus to the leadership of His church. That's our goal. That's our goal here. I'm hoping, Trevor, you can 
perhaps teach on that book uh, in the near future, perhaps. And uh, people can get a copy of it and show, because when you understand that book and when we say this, you can understand the government that's going on here. And it, it's just better to, to, under, to understand that, and it's helpful. So now we're going to go on to this next uh, church, the Church of Sardis. You can see it down below with our Tyra there on our little trek here. Now, th now when you see Sardis, you see those red, red uh, lines? Those are the major roads. So Sardis is kind of at a, uh, it's better located than Smyrna or Ephesus or Pergamum. Or Th Sardis is at a crossroads of the main trade routes. You see that? Sardis is right there in, 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 uh, at a main trade route. And so it has this, uh, and what happens to Sardis is they try to appease everybody. They just want everybody to get along. Sardis was on the main uh, trade route. So we see here that we have this next church of Sardis, and it covers the time period of the Protestant Reformation. Now, it just so happens we are living in the time that Jesus, the presence of Jesus, is not in the church. There's more to say to the church of Sardis than any of them in, in, of the seven churches. Now let's look at it quickly. Sardis is called the dead church, and it said it's time to wake up. That was the message. Although the church of Sardis is praised for its good works, it received the harsh, harshest criticism of all the letters of the seven churches. Jesus described their situation as spiritual deadness. So one thing that we know at this church is we might be a lot of things and not a lot of things, but we don't want to be spiritually dead. Now, I promise you that uh, you can say, well, Alan, I want pure fire. The only thing I can tell you about fire, you don't have to debate it much. It just burns stuff. That's what fire does. It burns up everything. It doesn't dis discriminate between a tree and a house. It just goes through and scorches the ground. So when you say God's in the fire, just be careful what you ask for. But I can say this. You know, when the Holy Spirit falls, it'll scorch your ground. It'll scorch your ground. And so this is what, the reason the church wanted to do away with it, the reason the church said, well, we don't want to teach about the Holy Spirit or the book of Revelation they want a church without the fire. Now, let's watch this. This church had a lack of energy and enthusiasm. Now, you can say that about the church, but you can also that, say that about an individual. What happens with the church of Sardis is it loses its enthusiasm of the gospel. So as we're sitting in here, and if you have lost your enthusiasm of the gospel of Christ... You're falling under this, uh, this rebuke to the Sardis church. Now, why, why can I say that? It's because I can identify with that. At 70 years old, I can identify with not being quite as enthused as I was. When I sat there this morning and the Lord said to me, Alan, everybody's going to tell, feel my presence, all of a sudden, wham, my enthusiasm was back. How do you get your enthusiasm back? You run into the presence of God. That's what happens. 
You can say, well, Alan, how can I do that? Well, I, let me tell you the honest truth. I got a lot of theological ways I think you can do that. Most of them are hogwash. The main thing to do is I can tell you the presence of God's in this place today. Today, I can tell you what to do. He's here today. Today, the Lord is in this place. Don't ask me about tomorrow or yesterday, but I can tell you today, He's in this place. And I'll tell you what else, if you want to experience the presence of God, you got to do it in the now moment. You got to do it today. I can't experience Him tomorrow for today. I have to experience Him today. And the Lord's in this place today. So what we're after is to reach out and see if we can touch His feet. And watch this. So here we go in the Scripture. It says this in Revelation 3, 1. And to the angel, here's the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know thy words, and thou hast a name that you live, but you're dead. And he goes on to say, this is, this is so sad. Jesus describes our situation as spiritually dead with deep unresponsiveness to the Spirit. So what makes you dead is you don't respond to the Spirit. Now you got to hear this. He didn't say that you were dead to sensing it. You're dead to being responsive to the Spirit. So it means the Spirit can be speaking to you or you can tell the Spirit's there. What makes you dead is you don't respond. You don't respond. You don't respond. Now, watch this. He goes on to say, I know your works. You have a name, but you're alive, but you're dead. I'm, I'm one of these. I believe that TV shows, I believe that movies, I think that God, I'm one of these crazies that thinks that God can speak in a lot of ways. And I'm, I'm, I'm one of those. And I'm going to use a reference here. Anybody ever seen that? It's iZombie, American television series, premiered March 17th, 2015. You've heard all the movies that are out there on zombies and all of that. The Walking Dead. Now, to me, when I first saw it, I thought, this is prophetic. Speaking about the Church of Sardis. Not only that, people's making money off The Walking Dead. They're, they're using it as entertainment. The Bible speaks about the walking dead. You got a form of life. You got a form that you know God, but you're dead. And I'm just saying to you that the world reflects unto us where we are spiritually. Unfortunately, there are thousands of churches like this around the world today. Corpses that are alive and walk about as though they are living, but they're really dead. Can I tell you something? I would rather, I couldn't go to a dead church. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't, I couldn't go to a dead church. I, I just couldn't. I'd lay in the bed and sleep. I could not discipline myself enough to go to a dead church. There again, this church, we are not claiming to be doing things perfect. But we do not want to be found dead because we are reaching for the life of Christ in this place. Are we smart enough to know that definition? I've told you over a hundred times, no. But we are seeking that definition 
of what does it look like to be a true, real, alive New Testament church in the year 2023 with the power and the presence of God that will mark us as people ride up and down this road and they say, I don't know who that is over there, but I heard that they know God. The lost will say that. Believe it or not, the religious going up and down the road were probably scared of us. But the lost will get our reputation. If I ever want to know God or find God, I think I'm going to go over there. That's the way it works. You get a reputation that you know God. And who's our reputation among that we want? It's with the lost. It's not with the church crowd. Just think what you want to think. It's to the lost. And the Holy Spirit will draw them in. But let's don't be dead. The church at Sardis is a church that has a reputation to live, but it's dead. It was filled with people who knew the Lord, but had no life in them. They served the homeless, those in need, which gave them a good reputation. In other words, they were politically, in other words, they had all of the, the uh, social you know, giftings. Oh, we want to serve this one and this enfranchised. In other words, that's, those are all good works, but it doesn't mean you're alive. Can you hear me? A lot of people think, well, Alan, we need to be more into, well, I'm all for it, but you can do all of that and still be dead. They had good works, but the works had no life. Paul warns us, says this in 1 Corinthians, Oh, I speak in tongues, have the gift of prophecy, and can them all mystery and knowledge, and have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love. I am resounding gong or a clanging cymbal, he says. Now let's look at the difference between Sardis and other churches. This church in Sardis had such a void of life that it actually had no struggles going on. Now, isn't that interesting? Let's don't do Revelation. Let's don't do Holy Spirit. Here we are. We don't have any struggles. They didn't have enough life to drum up a good Jezebel spirit. And that's pitiful. Ain't that pitiful? They had everything going. Everything was smooth. If you're looking for a church that's everything that's going smooth, it's not new life. Oh, I got one amen, and it was from the pastor. That's all we need. So when you look at this church, and if you want Jesus head of this church, it's not going to be everything runs smooth. No problems. No. We're going to have people come up front and get healed. We're going to have people come up and get the baptism of the Spirit. We're going to have some people come up in the flesh. It's okay. It's all right. We'll handle it. You say, well, Alan, you shouldn't have people in the flesh in the services. <laughs> well, you're going to need to leave. <laughs> yeah, that sounded a little... I didn't say hallelujah, so I didn't seal it. No, the point, the point, y'all know my point. I don't have to define it. You know my point. My point is, if you're looking for a church, it's everything smooth. Nobody's stirring the waters and all of that. We get more crazy ideas than you check a stick at. You just wouldn't believe it. But the truth is, it's because we got some life in this place. 
and the life comes up in people. They want to contribute and they want to talk. And Have you ever been in a service and somebody stands up and testifies and everybody in the room knows you're talking a little too long? Come on, don't, don't get religious on me now. Does everybody know what I'm talking about? Somebody, somebody, because y'all know me, they, they, these leaders, for some reason, trust me. God help them. And I'm, I'm kind of the mic guy. A lot of times, pastors say, well, see, Alan, run it by him, see what it says. I'm not going to shut down much. I really am not. But we just like to have a little bit of a, a little bit of a protocol. And then I'll go with people with the mic, and they'll talk. And we've had several, and you know, we've had a little bit of movement in the Spirit in the last couple of weeks, or four, three or four weeks again. and Had one or two, but maybe went a little long. And, and, uh, and I, could, I could see the hair coming up on the back of some people. <laughs> saying, boy, I wish that person had shut up. And you wouldn't say that in the mic, but you're kind of thinking that. And, and I, I let them keep talking. Let, let me tell you why I let them keep talking. When somebody stands up and the Lord's really moved on them, on their heart, and they want to testify. When you testify, that miracle that happened in your heart is being set. In other words, you run in the miracle. Why does the Lord tell you to testify of the wondrous works? Why did God have Israel every year do all the feasts? It's because when you testify and say it, it gets set. Now, the first time that you testify of a miracle that God's done in your heart, it's being seated and set. And as you watch somebody testify that it just happened, you're watching the miracle take place. Of course, they're talking it out loud for the first time. They're trying to find words to describe this wonderful thing that God just did to them, and there's not enough words to really explain it right. So they keep backing up and trying to say it again and, and again and, and again. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Now, what we want to do as a congregation, don't get upset they're talking too long. I don't want to give you permission to talk to them. Keep her short. <laughs> Keep her short. Because I, I do have the mic, and you are putting me in a situation. Everybody's saying, Alan, move on, move on, move on. I can feel it. I can feel it. But I want you to have mercy when people testify. If you want a church that Jesus is running the show, and people stand up and they give a testimony of what God, give them a little bit to find words for it. I had we had one lady that tickles me to death. She's probably watching right now. They watch every week, and and I said, now I kind of, I know I know her. She gets excited, and I knew the Lord had clocked her good, and she gave she's going to give a testimony. I said to her, I said, keep it kind of short. Now through her whole testimony, which was a long one, she kept saying, now, I'm keeping it short. Now now the truth was she was because she could have went a lot longer. Okay, tickle it tickled me. And the Lord said, Alan, just keep your mouth shut. You know what I'm saying? But, but anyway, I was a little cautious because I knew there were people sitting in the congregation and she might go on too long and they'd want us to hurry up. Now, what I want you to grasp, the reason I'm using this as an example, if we're going to let the Holy Spirit lead this church, I do ask you to keep your testimonies as short as possible. But at the same time, when somebody's trying to find words, to explain what God did in her heart. Let's let them kind of give them time to work it out good, and get it set up in their heart because it means something big to that person. Really 
It's huge. It's not as big to you as it is to them because it didn't happen to you. But if you'll hush and listen, it might. You see? But once you're a little critical, it's not, you're not going to get it. And the criticism is what keeps us all from receiving a blessing from somebody else's blessing. So let's just allow everybody time. Well, why in the world am I saying all this? Oh, that's that's right. So we, we, we've got to be able to tolerate each other if we make a mess or whatever. As, as leaders, we understand that people can make messes, but we're willing to take a chance on our messes for the Lord to speak to the church. Amen. So, so when we're learning to mature with the body and we're learning to mature with a word from the Lord through his people, most churches would not turn a, a mic loose for the life of money. They just would not do it. Well, you're scared of what's going to come out of people. The only thing I can tell you is we're, we're willing here to take a chance on you if the Spirit of God's moving. The only thing I ask is, church, is somebody's messing up. Sometimes you can get a, somebody will come up and they'll give a testimony and they're just full of pride. Every, you got to understand, everybody in the room knows it except the person who's talking. It's a very embarrassing situation. It's like you're sitting there and your breeches fell down or something. You know, it's embarrassing. You're just showing yourself is what you're doing. And you think that you bra you're bragging on yourself. You go, I'm going to brag on God, but it ends up being about you. What all you did. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Well, what happens with that is it's okay. It's okay. Just let him get. Because the spirit in the room is given revelation of what's coming out of the mouth. Everybody knows it. But just pray for the person. Say, oh, Lord, he's in the flesh here. He's kind of prideful. Just pray, Lord, just get his heart. Get his heart. Get his... Just sit there and pray for him. Don't wish they'd hush. Pray for them. And that's the way the spirit of revival moves. Because when you stand up and get a mic, listen, most people are sitting there like this. They're shaking. They're trembling. Y'all know what I'm saying. They're just scared to death, but they're afraid they're going to die if they don't give thanks to Jesus. If they don't say that just right, don't you think it's okay? And sometimes you might even brag on yourself a little bit just to get her started. Well, I can handle that. Right? There's, there's a crowd come to Apostle Paul and said, well, listen, they're talking about Jesus, but they're not doing it right. And Paul said, listen, as long as they're talking about Jesus, just leave them alone. That's what he said. And I'm talking about Jesus, but I'm going to hush. Because Jesus is in this room. He's in this room. So Lord Jesus, we thank you for the power of your spirit. Lord, you know our deal. If there's anything that I've said is not of you, I pray that it'll just fall to the ground. If anything that I've said of you that's of you and your spirit, I pray that it'll be seated in our hearts. It'd be multiplied. It would be multiplied among your people. Lord Jesus, we ask and pray that you lead this church 
Give us unity of the Spirit that we got enough sense to follow you. Teach us to yield to each other. Yes. Teach us, O oh God, to yield to a lesser word, understanding that that's the greater word all the time. Help us to yield to what we think's lesser. Help us all to be humble and swallow our pride. And let us understand that you use the little things, not the big, great things, but the little things of the heart. It's what you surf on. It's what your Holy Spirit scats on. Let us be your people. And we pray that you'll be our God. And the people in the house said, Amen and amen.